Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley, and welcome to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Our guest today is Jennifer Create Solis. She is a PhD and a certified yoga therapist specializing in eating disorders and body image. She is a sought-after international speaker and former host of Real Body Talk, an online interview talk show. Through her virtual school, Yoga for Eating Disorders, Jennifer offers individual yoga therapy, groups, classes, and continuing education and mentoring for professionals. She is the author of Body Mindful Soul and the Courageous Path to Healing. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. I'm so glad to have you here, and I'm I'm really interested in your story and how did this start? How did it happen? Well, thank you so much for, for having me on. I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Um, as I share in, in my book, um, my story begins with being in college, um, being an athlete, and um, feeling, you know, up until that point in my life, feeling really confident and um, steady in my self-esteem and on a path, you know, um, embracing life loving playing sports, um, not really having a disconnection from my body or my spirit or myself, um, and experienced a, a kind of difficult moment with a coach. Um, at least I received it that way. Um, we were, we were at crew practice on the water and the coach from, from far, you know, yells through his megaphone. You know, I can tell how hard you work by how your body changes. And I don't know, you know, I, I, I often wonder, did anybody else in the boat hear that, but me, um, but I took it in so deeply mm-hmm. um, because as someone who was a people pleaser and a rule follower, and wanted to be the best at everything that she did and please the coach and <laughs> please her teammates. I took that in and felt like, oh my goodness, is he talking to me as he's saying, I'm not working hard. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I I translated that into needing to change my body and we're trained in this world that how else do you change your body and about to make it more valuable, but to become smaller. Mm -hmm. Right. And that kind of got in my head and propelled me into a really, um, life, um, altering experience of an eating disorder. But it, yeah. you could have taken it as I need to bulk up. I need to get well, more muscular. Yeah. I could there were so many ways you could have gone yes. with that. Before that, were you um, hyper competitive or? Always. You always were competitive. Always. Oh, always okay. Competitive. Yeah. And to this day, I'm the mom now on the sidelines <laughs> cheering <laughs> for my kids. And my kids yeah. are putting their head down like, mom, stop. You know, like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm. I'm just naturally competitive, mm-hmm. but, but it was never in a um, like destructive way. And somehow that became a very destructive path. For right, me. right. And I'm not blaming the coach on the eating disorder that 
took place. I think his, there his things, words were innocent, really. His words, it's how I yeah. received them. Right. right? And, and they, it, it just kind of ticked off something that was probably waiting to happen mm-hmm. um, based on some things that had taken place earlier in my life, feeling pretty strongly that um, eating disorders are in my family line. And oh, they are do, they? They do have a genetic component. So, yeah. again, are they you know, in your family line eating? I, I think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah. I think I'm the only one clinically diagnosed, but mm-hmm. I definitely um, recognize it in, in, in some family people. members. Yes. Now, yes. let me ask you, because this, you know, caught my attention in what you heard from that coach was my body needs to change. And rather than bulk up, rather than get muscles, rather than expand, you withdrew, you became smaller. That's mm-hmm. what you heard. Mm-hmm. And to be recognized as competent, you needed to almost disappear. So it's, you know, like those two don't go together, but that's what you heard or that's, that's what, what clicked. That's yeah. What, that's what clicked. how it translated. It was the only way my brain could make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty, um, muscular and bulky at that time in my life. Right. Um, and so I you kind of gotten more than, I mean, you were in your top shape. And when in, in crew that sport, right, there's the lightweight boat and then there's the heavy boat, mm-hmm. right? So that language is so loaded, right? Especially right. for people who are vulnerable to body image challenges and um, self-esteem and, and different, different challenges in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially in this diet culture that we're enmeshed in. And right? especially as a teenager. And, and especially and as a teenager. In college. Yeah. In college. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that that um, pressure to perform, whether it was academically or, you know, athletically, um, in peer groups, um, you know, I, I was always one to, you know, want to be the best and it came naturally, right? right. And now this was the first time I was being challenged and, I had to prove it through my body. And that, that was new. My guess is no one else in that boat heard those words the way you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You know, and some probably didn't hear them at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. So tell me what happened after you heard, heard that internalized that really. Yeah. I internalized that. And what I thought I was, you know, pursuing this new healthier lifestyle of, you know, trying to trim down and work harder at my sport, um, just took on this momentum of becoming obsessed with exercising Mm -hmm. and being in the gym several times a day. Plus at practice, you know, became obsessed with calorie counting and restricting, you know, it started off restricting certain foods, then it was entire food groups, and then it was entire meals. And it just, man, it just takes on such a life. Right. right? It and it's the center of your life. It, it does. And it, it was never the intention to self-destruct, right? I was on a mission to prove my work ethic, mm-hmm. right? But it, it took hold and it, it gives in the beginning that experience gives what can give one a sense of power. Right. And control. control as well. Did you feel yeah. out of control? 
because I, you know, in your, I read your book that part saying about how, I mean, you know, you you ran three miles to the boat and then you got it, and and you loved it. You you seem to love that run. I almost could feel it through the book. And oh, I always loved so loved yeah, that. so peaceful. Um, and early morning run. You seem to feel in complete control of your life, yet this so much of controlling your food, you know, um, not only changing your body, but it is like a, a lockdown of control. It is. And what I came to understand and what I often will share with my clients now who I support is that, you know, yes, it's about control, but I think it's also about power. Mm-hmm. feeling powerless somewhere in our lives. Yeah. And when I had to leave school and go into treatment um, and this theme of disappearing, of shrinking showed up, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, in conversations with therapists and others, it was the realization of how powerless I felt about things that had happened earlier in my life. Like my parents divorcing, I was five. I had no power over that. Right. right. And or, a five-year-old thinks it's their fault too. They, that's right. one of the ages where you really think you're completely powerful for whatever crazy reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably because you have a big birthday party when you turn five. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, but you know, that had happened and some other things, you know, grief and heartache and things that, you know, I, I, I felt powerless to, right. So we are, you know, we are trained that we can gain power through our bodies, you know, through diet culture and, and these different, um, you know, beauty ideals and, you know, um, and certainly now in, in the, in the world of social media, those message can just really bombard you if, if you're tuned into them, right. Social media is deadly. deadly. <laughs> it can be, it can <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah. So, um, so that, you know, that experience really, um, woke me up to some of these ways that I approached life that were unhelpful. Whereas, you know, being a perfectionist in grade school and high school may have served me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to serve me for the long term. Yeah. you know, um, not, you know, building the skill of how, how to, um, how to set boundaries, right? How to prioritize myself, how to understand that I can take care of myself and care for other people in my life or, and do my work or, and, you know, whatever those other things are that I care about that prioritizing me, prioritizing, taking care of my physical body, my spiritual body, my mental body, right? Like I, I, it is, it is not wrong to prioritize ourselves. Mm -hmm. What surprised me too is you're a very intelligent, accomplished woman. You're a PhD. And and your mental, as you call it, your mental body, your mental process left you completely. As you controlled the food, you became weaker. You became unable to think clearly. You even see clearly. And yet you never put it together that you were starving. That, you know, that part of the, the illness, you know, and this is an illness, your intellect never came in to look at, you know, you're, you're dying here, you're starving. 
I think it did in my relapse later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, in the relapse, you had the tools then, but in college. And so tell us about that in a way, step by step, you're, you're um, as you call her, your homie, but your roommate of two years, and then you lived alone. She actually saved your life. She, she absolutely saved my life. And I tell her every day, yeah, to this day yeah. you know, she did save my life. Um, I think it's important to, to like share with everybody that, you know, eating disorders, as, as I talk about them, they are a way to cope with pain, right? They're a way to cope with pain. Um, whether that's mental pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, they're a way to cope with trauma, right? So, um, it's not that my intellect wasn't there. It's that this, this, um, pain that was inside of me was so deep. Mm-hmm. And obliterated everything else, basically. Exactly. And, yeah. and so, um, you know, I think sometimes eating disorders get this rap of like being about vanity or being a, a diet gone wrong or a phase. And I mm-hmm. think it's just important, like other mental illnesses, right? Like they, there's a reason they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times it's how we're, we're trying to cope with our pain. It's not a, it's not a sustainable way to cope. Right. It's almost like blind, except that you're not aware of the pain, but blinded by pain and you cannot see reality. Absolutely. Anymore. Absolutely. That's yeah. such a great way to say it, Barb. And so the focus on one's body, on food, on controlling these things, mm-hmm. that's where the attention goes. Right. And it kind of numbs out all the sensations, all the pain, the spirit, the mind, right. It just kind of numbs it all out. I'm also surprised, I have to say, I'm a little disappointed that your coach on the on crew, um, some of your um, some of the more adults that you were around didn't pick this up, didn't recognize this, didn't approach you and say something's wrong here. You know, you're, you're I mean, he had to see that you were becoming weaker. He had to see that that was going off balance. You could not possibly, and crew is a team sport. And um, when one member of the team is no longer holding up their part, that becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly, I would think. Yeah. And how did he not come to you and say something's wrong here? Um, It was the season following when everything started to kind of happen that I was in really bad shape. And at that point we had a different coach in, um, and I actually was the one I was captain of the team at that point. Yeah, that's right. When you quit, you were captain. And I had, yeah. Um, and you know, I think no one comes to you because, or came to me because there's a way in which when we see people getting thinner, we celebrate that. Yeah, but weaker. For a while, I could pull it off. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, that crew takes a lot of strength. Yeah. But then I yeah. knew when I had to, I knew I couldn't keep up with yeah. it at that point. Yeah. Were you afraid of being found out? Or that I was, never entered your mind? No, because the eating disorder can really become one's identity. 
Mm-hmm. And so being challenged on that or asked, being told like something's wrong and you need to stop doing what you're doing until you're ready to hear it. You're not ready to hear it. Right. 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 So it becomes a secret for, it was a secret for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, in this la la land telling people, Oh, I, it's, this is my lifestyle. This is, right. this is how I live. Right. And, yeah. you know, I completely kind of talked myself into this narrative that was clearly not um based in reality really going on. <laughs> yeah 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 and then your roommate finally came yeah, and said we're we're going we're, we're going, going to the doctor it's and time. forced you to at, at that it's point time. you were yeah you yeah. were ready to keep continuing on the path that um you were on which well, anyway, you tell your story. So you went to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was just the, you know, that was just the first, the first part of my story. Um, right. right. But it's um, an important part, how you got saved really from absolutely. yourself. And this is where it's a spiritual one as well, because the spirit wants to, um, wants the soul to fully experience life. This is my belief, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be, um, to fully experience life, to be fully here, to be present. And you were disappearing out of life. Yeah. So, you know, so you're, you're uh, homie, as you call her. <laughs> roomie, my roomie. Roomie, yeah. yeah. Um, came to, came and got you and brought you in. And then the doctor, go ahead, because those words were chilling when, that you overheard when he called your parents. Yes. Yes. Basically like she needs treatment now or she's going to go unconscious, you know, um, right. you were that so, close. Yeah. That so close. it was, it was a scary yeah. time. It was a really scary time. And I was really fortunate to be able to go to an inpatient um, place that had an eating disorder floor in the Philadelphia area. Um, I really seem to have found a very good facility. I did. Everybody's so lucky. I'm very lucky. And I really recognize that privilege because like you said, not everybody has that. Um, And so, yeah, so that kind of set me on my path to understanding like what was really going on with me? Like what was all this about? Mm -hmm. Um, And it put me, you know, going into treatment, put me in touch with a community of other people going through the same thing. And I have to say, I can remember sitting in in that hospital and being in different group therapy sessions and just astounded how almost like everyone around me, like we didn't know each other, but we knew each other. We spoke the same language. You know, it was, it was like, wow, like I'm not alone in this. There there's, there's a whole world of people who are suffering like this. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge component, isn't it? Realizing that you're not alone. Isolation is broken. Absolutely. And so that set me on my path to, you know, com- really committing to understanding what this eating disorder is, how it functions, and what is my responsibility now that I have this awareness. What is an eating to, disorder? To take care of myself. What is an eating, uh, you know, in your case, we're talking about starving yourself to death, but is there a bigger definition of eating disorder? Yeah. I mean, eating disorders affect 80 million people worldwide. 
And they come in a variety of forms. And so I would say, you know, for people listening, a great resource is um, the National Eating Disorder Association. And I believe it's NIDA.org. But if you look up National Eating Disorder Association, you're going to find definitions of all the different types of eating disorders. You're going to find, you know, symptomology and characteristics, how to help a loved one, um, hotlines and resources. Um, so that's a great place to go. Um, but they affect, you know, like I said, millions and millions of people worldwide, and they don't just affect white teenagers. Um, they, that's kind of the way we've been, um, we understand them socially. Like that's kind of the the image we've been given, the emaciated, you know, white, you know, middle-class right, right. class teenager. Yeah. Um, yes. Those people are in this, this population, but it also affects people of all ages, mm-hmm. not just teenagers, people much older. It affects men, women, all genders. It affects all races, all socioeconomic backgrounds. Right. right? Is it and always starving no, or is it ever? So there's a variety. So my the eating disorder that I went through is called anorexia nervosa, which the hallmark characteristic is restriction of food. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily means that you are emaciated and, you know, extremely thin. Anorexia can happen in all body sizes, right? We also have another um, eating disorder is bulimia nervosa, which is the binge purge cycle. So binging on food, large amounts of food, and then compensating by either vomiting, exercising, laxatives, diet pills, combination. Mm -hmm. Um, Binge eating disorder is actually the, um, um, has the highest, uh, is the highest in the United States. And binge eating disorder is kind of consuming large and large amounts of food without that compensatory um, outlet like bulimia. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are other types and there are combinations of these um, right. eating disorders and they, they, you know, they have biological, genetic, um, socioeconomic, all kinds of factors that contribute to, you know, why one would have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, most people with eating disorders also have a history of trauma and a lot of comorbid, um, um, illnesses include things like addiction, depression, um, OCD, mm-hmm. um, anxiety. Right. Anxiety seems to always be in there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And often, well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say often, but sometimes your body doesn't make it back to be able to um, take in food and process it properly. Your body, I don't know whether it's forgotten that, because I, I have met people way early on, you know, 30 years ago, where um, their body just couldn't process food anymore. They Even while they started to eat healthy, their body just wouldn't work. It had gone so far away from properly working that, um, you know, they had to be very careful and eat very small meals and, you know, so, but your body came back to processing perfectly. 
It did. And so when you're going kind of through um, the recovery or the healing process, um, having a team of professionals to support that is really important if if that's possible for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really blessed to be able to have a therapist, a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. Um, I've done many groups um, in my after the relapse and I came out of treatment, I did a, I was in a group for quite a bit of time for women 30 years and older, right. A community support. Um, so having, having a team of people that can really understands eating disorders mm-hmm. and, um, can help guide that process is, is really important. And so that's, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm a, a yoga therapist. Um, it's different. Mm-hmm. But I've, I have developed a community for people who are in, on this journey and through the programs we offer, you know, looking to fill some of the gaps in the recovery experience um, and create community, um, whether it's, you know, through the Facebook group that I have or a call that I lead every week, because I think community is just so key. Like you I said, actually Bob, do too. That isolation. That isolation. So damaging. Yeah. Being with people who get it. You know, that's what I always say. Like this is mm-hmm. a space to be with people who get it. And um, the feeling of not being alone. Of not being alone. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I community is just so important. Mm-hmm. Whether you have a illness or not, right? Like oh exactly. And I think in the United Human States, being. there's a loneliness epidemic, I think. I, I don't know that we know how to not be alone anymore, not be, you know, how to connect, how to not right. be so isolated. And some of it's social media, but some of it's the loss of churches as yes. communities, you know, yes. the loss of community. And, yes. and it, it is just... I honestly think isolation is one of the pillars of mental illness. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think what comes in that for a lot of people too is how do you be still? We don't know how to be still anymore. We're always stimulated by something. Right. 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 Um, I want to go through some of the tools you learned and then into the 30, the relapse when you were in your thirties, because there you could actually see it clearly. Like the first time it happened, you you didn't understand it at all. But the second time it happened, you had the clarity and the tools. So some, and especially the yoga. So um, you want to bring us into some of those tools that you learned. And through your book, you have at the end of every chapter, you have step-by-step guide of what to look at what to, to, uh, what words to use in your brain in a way, you know, (laughs) what to do and how to do it. So, um, let's go into some of the tools first, some of the tools that you learned to pull you out of that first, um, break, you know, breakdown. And then, um, and the fact that it can come back, this is lifelong. This is not a one-off you know, okay, you got sick, you got better, we're good to go for the rest of your life, as much as we'd all like to think that it's not. 
So um, you want to tell us a story? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, I think when I look back on that time. Um, you know what? Before we start, I've yeah. got to take a break. Oh, sure. I, I just realized. Oh, my God. <laughs> so um, let's take a break here. And then uh, when we come back, we'll start talking about the tools. We'll be right back. One thing's for certain, life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, we're back with Jennifer Solis, and we are talking about her journey with eating disorder and mental illness and the mental illness and metaphysics, uh, which I explained at the beginning of the of our show today. Um, I want to bring that in because she is certified yoga therapist. And we're going to talk now about all the to- tools that she used to become well. And then when it recurred and uh, the recurrence in her 30s, how she was able to reach back those. So thanks, Jennifer. And and let's talk about the tools that you learned. Yeah, thank you, Barb. When I look back on that, you know, earlier time in my life, um, experiencing the eating disorder and beginning my recovery journey, um, the thing that stands out for me is finding yoga, right? Um, As I shared earlier, you know, I was always had been an athlete, And when I went into treatment and began my journey, I had to give up exercise for a very long time because it wasn't safe for me um, because it still was very activating for me. You know, I still wasn't, I I wasn't in a strong enough place to be able to just embrace it as doing something good for my body or good for my mind or my spirit. It, it, it became obsessive. So it, it took several years to, um, to build up, to be able to get back to being active. And, you know, I was really missing that part of myself pre-eating disorder who just loved to be active and run around and sweat and, you Your know, body just, missed just, it. Yeah. yeah, just, you yeah. know, to move and, and enjoy life through, through my body. And around this time, um, I guess it was the early 2000s, yoga was picking up you know, popularity here in the States. And so I thought, well, I've never done it before. Something completely new. It's supposed to be good for you. 
I'll try it. So I ordered some DVDs and, you know, I was doing yoga in my apartment living room while I was in graduate school. And it really offered me this new experience of, you know, having something new to learn because I'm a student at heart. I love to learn new things. Give me something new to learn. It presented these, you know, this way to move my body that was brand new. It wasn't about being on a machine and keeping track of time and calories burned. It wasn't about being, you know, in a competitive sport and being the best or winning, right? It was just about like, okay, let's just be here on this mat and try standing on one foot and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was so different. And so I really, I really found myself enjoying it. And it was, I realized that as the more I did it, I was learning to pay attention to my body again in a kind way, not or learning to be in your body and to be in my body. Yeah. That took time, right? That took time. As I share in my book, you know, one of my first classes, the instructor saying, you know, just listen to your body. I was like, what in the heck does that even mean? I have been, you know, through the eating disorder, taming my body and controlling my body and punishing my body and just blocking out what it was telling me, you know, overriding it. Now this practice was inviting me to just listen. And, you know, when you're doing a forward fold, if your hamstrings, you feel that and it's like pain, you know, like stop, (laughs) you know, like don't keep doing it. It's okay. So I was, I found myself in a community where the, the language that I was immersed in was around listening. It was around compassion. It was around patience, you know, learning to take care of yourself, uh, paying attention to yourself, letting go of expectations, you know, like all of this, these messages that I just, you know, my heart took in and they were so healing. Um, learning being a full person. It's being really whole, being a full, whole being person. Whole person. Yeah. You know, and you can find that in getting still and noticing your breathing, right? You can find that in just wiggling your fingers and like, wow, you know, like I'm here right now. Yeah. Um, and so these, these lessons that I was learning and maybe even relearning, mm-hmm. um, in that time were really pivotal for me. Um, and I and have to put in that these are not only physical lessons, but they're spiritual lessons in being present, being Absolutely. in body and being present. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And that's why sometimes is mental illness a spiritual illness as well. Let's talk about how yoga worked for you. Yeah, I mean, it works. It helps me and helped me on so many levels. Initially, in that earlier part of my journey, it was more on the um, in the realm of connecting with my body, being my body, paying attention to my body, being learning present. to make yeah. yeah, learning to make new choices that um, align with caring for myself and listening to myself. Um, later in my journey, after the relapse when I began to train to be yoga therapist, that's when yoga began to 
be now like a capital Y versus a small Y. So in the beginning, it was much, it was just like, it was going to class, doing the movement practice, right? Um, It was hugely beneficial. And then Mm -hmm. later in my life is when I learned about the philosophies and the other types of practices within yoga, you know, breathing, pranayama practices or meditation or mantra, you know, some of the other yeah. Other practices. Before we go to those though, um you you got well and you were fine and you went on, you got married, you had two kids. So tell tell the audience what happened. Sure. I mean, you, you were cured, let's use that word cured. Well <laughs> but I, but this kind of um illness, you're you're never really free. Yeah, I think I I, I think I was, you know, in a stable a stable recovery, you know, for many, many, many years, um, went to grad school, loved grad school, got married. Like you said, a couple years later had our, our first daughter. And then less than two years later had our, well, two years later had our second daughter. And in that time of, um, in, in the book, I talk about how after I, you know, had my second daughter is when that relapse really took hold. Mm-hmm. Um, there was I had terrible postpartum depression with both yeah. of my daughters, but with, with my second, it was extremely severe. Mm-hmm. So I had the postpartum depression, the exhaustion, um, giving birth was very traumatic for me. Um, and the overwhelm of, you know, life. And I'm sure so many people can listening can listening can relate whether you, you have children it. whether yeah. you have children or not, right? It's life can just get I call you know so, you tap out you hit the wall you just you hit the wall complete yeah. yeah yeah and I I just had hit hit a wall of now coming into this new role as a mother of two children I was I had a career at that time as a medical writer um, I was married you know, like just life that we, we, you know, mm-hmm. none of this is extraordinary. We all do it on some, yeah. you know, but yeah. how we, um, how it affects us. I don't think people often talk about how life affects one. And mm-hmm. for me, it was so overwhelming and so exhausting. And just on this constant, um, merry-go-round, um, I just began to lose grip of myself, like lose touch with myself and because so much life was going on, I, my yoga practice fell away. I was no longer teaching yoga. So I should share that. I started teaching yoga shortly after I started practicing it in those early years of my recovery. Mm-hmm. So that foundation of yoga, of having dedicated time to be connected to myself, to do something good for myself, to be in my body, to check in, it just vanished. And without that foundation in place, I think it just made more room for the, the feeling of isolation to come in, for the depression to get deeper, for the overwhelm to take over. And my brain knew how to, like, it kind of like snapped back to the eating disorder. It was like, well, this mm-hmm. is how you coped with, with extreme stress or pain before. This is how we cope again. And, it, and this it's is just, how to get control. This you is, know, you're yeah. out of control and it's like, oh my God, let me grab that life preserver. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it was just this, it was just the only way I knew. And I, I don't even, it wasn't like this conscious choice. Like I'm going to 
be in my eating disorder again to get control, right? It just was this very kind of like, like slow, subtle, subtle. I remember telling myself, and I write about this in the book, I'm just going to flirt with a low grade eating disorder. Nothing clinical, (laughs) nothing clinical. It's just, just enough to kind of like get me through this, but it's such a slippery slope. And once it takes hold, it just. And the secretiveness of it. And that to me is a red flag when you, things start to go secret and um, you've become isolated in your, your thought pattern and in your illness and what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. But you was you went so what happened? You well, actually I read what happened. You tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um before my youngest daughter turned one, um, a month before she turned one, um, I ended up back in tr- residential treatment. Um who pulled you back? Was that your husband? I, I, it was my wonderful husband. Yeah. It was my wonderful husband. You know, yeah, he was started to recognize he was, it. He was recognizing it. This mm-hmm. was, this was his first time living through it with me and gratefully his only time, knock on wood, it stays mm-hmm. that way. Right. Um, um, but he, I mean, I was losing weight really quickly. Now I had been breastfeeding up till my daughter was eight months. So I was, you know, really mindful of that. And mm-hmm. it was kind of walking this line of making sure I knew she was having got what she needed, but also right. not really taking care of myself. And then once I stopped breastfeeding, kind of all bets were off and I just spiraled. And right. it was, it was really clear to my, my parents, my sister, people around me, everybody um, saw it. Yeah. And then we just hit, I hit a point where I was ready to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mother's day. And I share the story in the book. It was mother's day. We were walking in the park and I was so weak. I couldn't push the stroller, mm-hmm. you know? And that was just, that was the moment. It was like, no this is not right. This is not right for my family. This is not the kind of mother I want to be, the wife I want to be, the woman I want to be. I know, I know where this is going and it's a dead end and I need to take responsibility right now. Um, and, and it's like you snapped too. You woke up. I woke up. Like I can see it now. I understand it. It's time to, I can't pull myself out of this on my own. And I know that I need help. And it's time to get back into support and community. You have a quote in your book, Rumi's quote. Um, do you remember the quote? I only, it was uh, being asleep. It was talking about being asleep. Yeah. And and you refer, you go to some of these spiritual teachers yeah. of, you know, okay, bring me back. Bring me yeah. back. Bring me back. Yeah. Bring me back. So you, you went back to your old therapist, your, your lifelong therapist. Yeah, I did. First, (laughs) first I went into a residential treatment in a different location than I previously was. And then Mm -hmm. started the journey of residential to day treatment, to outpatient, to Mm -hmm. working with my wonderful therapist, Linda again. Right. Mm -hmm. And how did yoga help you with that? Because, and I have to say in your book, you go through it, as I said, every chapter has, has things at the end of the chapter to be to pay attention to to be aware to 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 um to vocalize even in your own head um the certain thoughts that you need mm-hmm. to um watch for or say yeah you know and then um and then you went back to to yoga practice 
I did. While I was at residential treatment, I had to get really clear with myself about how was I going to stay well? Because life was going to be overwhelming for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So what do I need to put in place to prioritize my mental health, my spiritual Mm -hmm. health? Um, And getting back to yoga was one of those things. And so when I was, when I was healthy enough, you know, stable enough in my recovery, I returned to going to classes, um, classes that weren't competitive or super fitness focused classes that are focused on, you know, more gentle in nature. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I decided. The competition to you is a trigger? Is that not anymore? Not yeah. anymore. Not anymore. But um, when you are in that, those early phases of, you know, getting back in touch with your body, mm-hmm. being in a competitive fitness focused environment that often reiterates. Um, that keeps you very... out of body too. So you're not yes. paying attention to yourself. Exactly. You're paying attention to what they're doing. So exactly. you're out of body. Your, your attention is out of body. That's correct. Right. Yeah. So I just had this, this yearning to, to learn again. And was really fortunate that there was a school near me that offered a three-year yoga therapy program. And yoga therapy is different than a yoga class in that um, it's more of one-on-one work, working with clients. It can be done in groups, but it's really um, bringing in the tools and the practices and the philosophies of yoga to support people in the changes they want to make in their lives. Mm -hmm. So when I entered this training, all of a sudden my whole world was rocked again because now I was learning the phililosophies and I was learning the, the concepts of yoga. Um, and this what is where my spiritual the best my spiritual practice really deepened. Um, so one of the cornerstone practices of of yoga is ahimsa, which is often translating translated as non-harming. I like to talk about it as kindness, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a call to action to um, practice kindness in our words and our thoughts and our actions with ourselves, others, and the the world, the environment, animals, you know, everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, you considered your, and I'm pulling this from your book, you considered your eating disorder a violence against yourself. That's correct. That is absolutely right. And so when I learned about that philosophy, Mm -hmm. it was such a wake up of, oh my gosh, these yeah. behaviors and thoughts are so violent. This is a mm-hmm. violence to myself. You're trying so, to destroy yourself. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not like intentional, but that is what is happening in this mm-hmm. process. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, really recognizing the violence in it and learning to make new choices of how to cope that are kind, that take my whole being into account that aren't destructive, um, learning about, um, the concept of Santosha, which means contentment. Um, I think often we translate contentment as this idea that that we're happy, but Mm -hmm. in yoga, contentment is this idea of, can we be with what is, it doesn't matter if we like it Mm -hmm. or if it makes us happy or not, but can we be with this moment? And then can we assess what's the next step I need to take for myself? So if this moment isn't serving me, first, Mm -hmm. can I be with it and recognize it and see it and not judge it? 
you know, can I take a few breaths with it, with it and be present to it? Mm-hmm. And then can I recognize, okay, is this what's happening in this moment? Okay. For me or not. Okay. For me, if it's not okay for me. How am I going to empower myself to be proactive and take the steps that I need to take to help myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning to like, can we be with what is, and remember we have the power of choice. Yeah. Um, that was really key for me. Um, there's so many, um, mm-hmm. but learning that yoga doesn't mean we have to get on a mat and move our bodies for 90 minutes. Yoga could be pausing and taking a purposeful breath, mm-hmm. right? Yoga can and be impressive. Giving a kind word to someone. Yoga can be, you know, it can be so many things. And so bringing it into our healing, you know, whether it's from mental illness or or not, just general life, right? These 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 tenants help us to be whole people and to recognize everyone around us as whole. And I think that's why so much spiritual healing is possible. Mm -hmm. Could you have done it? Without the spiritual healing? I don't think I could have. Yeah, that you had to have the spiritual as part so. of one of the legs on the chair. Yeah, I yeah, because I think getting in touch with my spirit helped me get in touch with my purpose. Mm-hmm. And when I found my purpose and I was able to kind of transform this suffering into a calling. And and a calling in the fact that you could share your yoga, yogic practices. Yes, in the work that I do now. Um, And you you do yoga for eating disorders. In fact, I think that's your website, right? That's correct, (laughs) yes. Um, How do you... How do you bring them in? How do you bring the student into themselves? You know, I mean, as a yoga therapist, working with my clients one-on-one, and I'm so blessed. You know, I have clients all over the world. We work together on online. Um, I feel it's such a privilege to hold that space Mm -hmm. for people to do the exploration and self-discovery of like, well, what, what does it feel like to just inhale, open my hand, exhale, close my hand? You know, what, what does that feel like? Or what does it feel like to raise my arms and lower my arms? Or what does it feel like to bring my hands on my heart and just notice what I notice, you know, I'm not doing big, long classes with people. I'm just doing these small little experiential moments Mm -hmm. and guiding people to start noticing themselves through a kinder lens. Um, So we are doing, you know, gentle movement. We're doing breathing. We're doing guided meditation. Um, And we're, we're, it's being in your body. In other words, get your soul, get your spirit into your body and be present. And yeah, and pay attention and, and know that whatever comes up, it's okay. It doesn't have to feel great, but let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's explore that and let's work toward and building let's a relationship. It. Yeah. Let's work on building a relationship with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me that because this was a big thing. Take a seat. I love that you love that. I do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was in a yoga class practice as a practitioner and the teacher who I just adore and has been very key to my healing. I talk about her in the book, Erica. She she just has a wonderful style and way about her. And 
she invited us to take this pose called chair pose where you're standing and then you, you know, reach your arms up, you bend your knees and you kind of sink like you're sitting in a chair. And mm-hmm. she says, take your seat yogis. And my ears perked up, but take your seat. Like I had been a teacher for so long. I never used those words or heard those words for this pose. And I just, it just made me smile and made me think like, take my seat. Like what, what does that mean? Take my seat. Mm-hmm. I really, concentrated on this this metaphor and you know by the end of class had kind of come around to realizing like you know take my seat that means take your place in the world that's it I'll take yeah. my place in the world yeah. and I'll own it you know own it you know mm-hmm. don't hide it own it right. um in a way so, you ought to you ought to write a book and that should be the title take your seat. <laughs> take your seat. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so um we're going to have to close and I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you're welcome to check out my website. It's yoga for, which is the number four yoga for eating disorders.com. Mm-hmm. And you work with people virtually all over the world, work with know? people virtually yeah. one-on-one and I have a wonderful faculty. Um, we offer all kinds of, um, yoga classes and meditation classes. We do creative arts um, groups. And I also run a free group every Wednesday called The Connection Call. You can read about it on my website. And one of the most important things in this, and then we'll have to close, is you teach people to be fully aware and present and in their body, which without that, I don't know how you get well, to be honest. Yeah especially with something like an eating disorder when you're so severed from your body. Oh, so many, the anxieties, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciated your being here and telling your story. Thank um, you. And going out and helping other people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.